what we may consider people who are trash, refuse, piled away to be forgotten, um, but not forgotten by God. And he, through his grace and through his workmanship, he restores people. And as we look at the message tonight, as we're reading from Judges chapter 3, about one of the judges, a judge named Ehud. And by all practical signs of his life, he was one of the people who would be discarded. You would not pick him to be a leader. You would not pick him to be one that God would use to be a mighty leader of Israel. He would be one of the people you would say, what is he going to do with his life? So let's turn to Judges chapter 3 as we look at this judge that God would use. I want to start at verse 15. and uh, Actually, let me just read, because we'll go through the passage. Let me just read 15. And uh, I ask you, is there a practice in God's honor? I think it's always a good thing to give honor to God any chance we get. <laughs> Again, the Israelites cried out to the Lord, and he gave them a deliverer, Ehud, a left-handed man, the son of Gera the Benjamite. The Israelites sent him with tribute to Eglon, king of Moab. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you look beyond what we see. Father, when they were looking for the next king, I almost missed David, Lord. And you gave this word, you said, um, the Lord does not look at what man looks at, that man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. You take broken people, you take wasted people, and you restore those people and you use them to make beautiful music through the power of the gospel at work. And as we look at the story of this judge tonight, Father, may we be reminded that every person counts, Lord. Even the people we might be tempted to discard or to say, what's the use? I mean, look at him. Look at her. That's what sent you to the cross. You looked at them. Even before they were born, before the foundation of the world, the Lamb of God was slain for a reason. Father, guide us in this message tonight for your glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. It's interesting in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, the writings say that um, God selected the people who were weak, who had nothing to offer, you know, who were poor, the discarded type. Warren Wearsby uh, wrote, When God wants to move his program along, he chooses the most unlikely, the least apparent, the most ordinary person, and then accomplishes through them the most unpredictable and many times the most unexpected results. And then D.L. Moody said, It's remarkable how God uses ordinary people who refuse to believe they deserve any credit. Now, as we look in the book of Judges, you know, there's this cycle that happens over and over again through the book of Judges. Israel 
sins and sins and sins. Turning away from God. God gives them what I like to call spiritual spankings to get their attention and to bring them back to him as a true father. So they're disciplined. Finally, they come to a point where they repent. They see, I've messed up. God, restore me. And they enjoy God's blessing. And then the cycle starts all over again. They forget God and turn away from him and go through that cycle once again. Charles Spurgeon once said, God never allows his people to sin successfully. Why? Because he wants us back. He draws us back to him. And so the book of Judges is this book over and over again where God is trying to draw his people back close to him because they stray away. And before we say, well, I can't believe those people would be so dumb to stray away. Boy, don't send any private investigators out to check out any of our homes, right? Sometimes I'm, I'll just be honest with you, sometimes I get this disappointed and disillusioned with me. And I don't have time to worry about you because sometimes I'm overwhelmed with me. And God in his mercy would send forth his judges to remind the people about him. And turn them back his direction. And when we think about judges, it's not like the picture we have of judges. You know, the guy in the big, long, black robe and... You go before him with knees trembling because you don't know what's going to happen. As he puts down that gavel and puts forth a sentence that you know you deserve. Now, the idea of the judges in that day, it's probably closer to a sheriff in Wyoming. You know, White Earp at the OK Corral. Uh, in those dusty towns handling those gun battles. They were a more dusty lot the judges that are found in this book that God would use. And this particular judge, he would have made a good instrument in God's hands in his landfill symphonic orchestra. Verse 15, as we read again that we just shared, the people cried out to the Lord, and he gave them a deliverer, Ehud, a left-handed man so you know what's the what's the deal with left-handed i'm left-handed amen yeah cindy's left-handed amen my kids are all right-handed i don't know what happened there they you know of course i always tell them i said just remember guys we're the only ones in our right minds in this family you know but and, and this is definitely a right-handed world. If you're left-handed, you know, growing up in school, the deaths were all for right-handed people. I, Cindy and I are just both very fortunate that we're not those people. How do they do that? Right like, I can't do it. I write like the right-handed people. But, I, you know, anyway, I'm going to hurt myself trying to, <laughs> trying to demonstrate that. But, uh, you know, and, and, and really I'm kind of a weirdo anyway. I have to, some things I do left-handed I play racket sports left-handed. I throw right-handed. I guess I eat either hand. But, I mean, I have to kind of discover, well, that you have to learn, right? There's some things you need to use both hands <laughs> so you can get the most out of what you're trying to do here. Um, but as you look at through the history, in the French language, the word for left-handed actually meant awkward. 
it was a picture of, of you know, someone is a klutz tripping over themselves. And then in the Latin language, it meant sinister. That there was something treacherous or sneaky in a bad way about being left-handed. In other words, it was considered to be a curse to be left-handed. And people would go out of their way to encourage people to be right-handed. My sister's been divorced for years, but her husband went to a Catholic school, and he was left-handed, and man, he would tell his stories. They would just beat his hand with that ruler, trying to make him write right-handed. And then he got where he could hardly write with either hand. Uh, through that process. Um, but in the Hebrew, mentioned French and mentioned Latin, but in the Hebrew, it literally means deformed or hindered in his right hand. The picture, really, of this judge is that he had some type of handicap in his right hand, where his right hand was was not healthy. It was not able to be properly used. And the Benjamites were known to be warriors where they needed both hands for combat. But this was a guy whose main hand, I don't know if it was withered, but in some way, he was handicapped. And and more than likely, he grew up in a community in a town where people thought, what is he going to do when he grows up? And he's handicapped. He's not even a whole man. He's not complete. And yet, this is the one that God would choose to be the deliverer. The king of Moab was a a tyrant type ruler. And many of the capable men were taken into their military. Many of the capable women um, were trafficked. And it was just a terrible time for 18 years of rule under the king of Moab. And greater taxation would occur. And now after these 18 years, God heard the cries of his people. And he sends this man who has a handicapped hand. He's not very impressive looking. Not very intimidating looking. He doesn't look like your proper deliverer. But yet God would take what appeared to be that weakness... To give him an opportunity. Let's look at our text. I'll show you what I'm talking about. Verse 16. Now Ehud had made a double-edged sword. About a foot and a half long. About the size of a good turkey knife. Thanksgiving. Cut that turkey. Which he strapped to his right thigh. Under his clothing. He presented the tribute to Eglon. King of Moab. Who was a very fat man. Just the word of God. I'm not trying to, you know. Um, Now, the picture here is typically the warrior would strap to the opposite leg. So the right hand would strap to his left leg, his blade for battle. Um, In this case, um, he strapped to his right thigh under his clothing. And this was actually an advantage because... uh, Who would actually think that a guy with a withered right hand would be a threat to the king? They probably wouldn't go out of their way thinking, boy, better check him carefully. Look at that mighty warrior. No. 
But in this case, he was probably the only one of God's people who could get close to the king and not be perceived as a threat. So look at what occurs here. Uh, verse 17, he presented the tribute to Eglon, king of Moab, who was a very fat man. After Ehud had presented the tribute, he sent on their way the men who had carried it. At the idols near Gilgal, he himself turned back and said, I have a secret message for you, O king. <laughs> Boy, did he have a message. The king said, Quiet, and all his attendants left him. Ehud then approached him while he was sitting alone in the upper room of his summer palace and said, I have a message from God for you. Look at this next part. As the king rose from his seat, Ehud reached with his left hand, drew the sword from his right thigh, and plunged it into the king's belly. Even the handle sank in after the blade which came out his back. Ehud did not pull the sword out, and the fat crossed in over it. Then he had went out to the porch. He shut the doors of the upper room behind him and locked them. This king was a picture of his indulgence in sin. All he did instead of serving others, he was served. Instead of caring for the people in his kingdom who were hungry, he ate in excess. Instead of caring about people, everything had to come in instead of out in his life. And so he was helpless when the blade was plunged into him. And Ehud, as he went out that back door, he you could in that day you could lock the door from the inside with a flat wooden key that they would create. And I want you to notice the picture here of those who were guarding the king. They were in a very awkward situation here. They're trying to figure out what to do. Verse 24. After he had gone, the servants came, found the doors of the upper room locked. They said he must be relieving himself in the inner room of the house. So they're sitting there saying, well, he's using the bathroom. But you know, they keep waiting and waiting and waiting. And it says to the point of embarrassment, they waited. And when he did not open the doors of the room, they took a key and unlocked them. There they found their Lord fallen to the floor, dead. While they waited, Ehud got away. He passed by the idols, and he escaped to Sirah. When he arrived there, he blew a trumpet in the hill country of Ephraim, and the Israelites went down with him from the hills, with him leading them. This man that they thought could not possibly be a threat, this handicapped man, this man who apparently was weak, not only conquered the king, but he led warriors conquer the armies. Very interesting. Here, verse 28, he says, Follow me, he ordered, for the Lord has given Moab, your enemy, into your hands. So they followed him down and taking possession of the fords of the Jordan that led to Moab, they allowed no one to cross over. At that time, they struck down about 10,000 Moabites, all vigorous and strong, not handicapped, all vigorous and strong. Not a man escaped. That day, Moab was made subject to Israel, and the land had peace for 80 years. 
God would use a handicapped man to conquer those who were strong in body and as warriors in their fight. Um, God would work in a very unusual way to bring forth that type of victory in the camp. Do any of you guys remember who David Ring was? Uh, I haven't heard of David Ring in a long time. It's cerebral palsy, an evangelist. And part of uh, when David Ring would come to churches, part of the things he'd always do, he uh, would preach and he would say, I have cerebral palsy. That's my excuse. What's yours? And, you know, so the question for all of us, what is my limitation? And maybe, just maybe, like with Ehud, it's not really a limitation, but an opportunity for God to work. One commentator described it this way. Abraham was old. Leah was unattractive. Joseph had a prison record. David committed adultery and conspired to murder Jonah quit. So did John Mark. Elijah wanted to die. Jeremiah grew deeply depressed. Peter chose sleep instead of prayer, then refused to admit he knew Jesus. How's that for a testimony? Naomi was a widow. The Samaritan woman at the well had a reputation. Rahab never outran her past as a prostitute. Zacchaeus had spent a career as a white-collar thief. Thomas always assumed the worst and battled doubts. Paul was never physically healthy and traveled most often with a doctor. Timothy was inexperienced and fearful. Take it from these saints of old, including, including Ehud, the forgotten judge. Your disabilities do not disable God. Your limitations do not limit God. If a man or woman doesn't care who gets the credit, if they get the credit, but serve God for His glory, there's no limit to what God can do through such a person. Matter of fact, uh, Hudson Taylor wrote it this way. God is sufficient for God's work. God does not do His work by large committees. He trains someone to be quiet enough and small enough, and then He uses them as His treasure. Matter of fact, um, it's at 2 Corinthians 4, 7, I think, it says that we're just clay pots, earthen vessels, that the treasure, the glory of God resides in. He's chosen to use a bunch of weak people like us to do His work and bring forth His glory among people. Discarded pieces of trash, that's the body of Christ. We're all, in one sense, a junkyard orchestra. Redeemed to play His music, recycled by grace, refashioned by the unrelenting grace that continues to call us. Our creative, forgiving, redeeming, divine conductor who allows us to play again and again to show forth the praises of Him who called us out of the darkness into His wonderful light. Let's pray. Father, um, I guess in one sense, we're all handicapped, Lord. We all have limitations and we all have weaknesses. And we all worry about those. But yet, Lord, I think about what Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. We don't learn what his thorn in the flesh was. 
But we do know he asked you three times to take it away. But then he received an answer that he decided to live with. My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Father, you use this man. What looked to be a weakness was an opportunity for you to raise him up to be the leader among your people and to bring forth deliverance and victory. Father, what is our weakness that we fight against that you might be able to use for your glory, God? Help us to turn to you with whatever it may be to give you room to work in us that we might be quiet enough and small enough, as Hudson Taylor said, to give you room to do something. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.